Welcome to the BCP and Me, the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and as usual, we are joined here with Father Joshua Nelson as we continue our study on the 1979 Book of Common Prayer according to the use of the Episcopal Church in the United States of America. Good afternoon, Father Joshua. What was the point of that mouthful? Uh, Good afternoon. I want to point out to our listeners that uh, we are on this journey with them, and sometimes we learn as much as they do in our preparations for this podcast. Uh, You're just going to get straight down to it, right? I I saw the bus coming, and I thought I'd throw you under it. Oh, how wonderful. (laughs) We have a saying... uh, as the clergy of this church from time to time that we ourselves uh, fall under uh, is just read the rubrics. And how many times in this podcast in 26 episodes have we said, oh, look, there's a rubric here that says X, Y, or Z. And as Father Joshua and I got together to start preparing for this service, some interesting things came up in our conversation. The Primary one being the fact that Father Tyler had not really looked at the rubrics for the service of a penitential order, right to found on page 351 in the Book of Common Prayer. Well, a little bit of a history that kind of, you know, gets you off the, uh, uh, off the lamb here. The rubrics are called the rubrics because they were originally written in red. The the red, Latin red. the Latin for the word red being rubra, rubra, uh, where we get so, ruby, right? Right. And uh, so they were really easy to find. It was you know follow the red. What is it? Do the red. Something about the red and the black. You do the red. You read the black. You do the red and you read the black. Uh, but in later. Uh, printings of the Book of Common Prayer, the rubrics are now in black and white. So you get off the hook there, Father Tyler. It's, it's Sometimes it's hard to find them. Well, and, and the late, great Father Marion Hatchett once said that he was concerned about the vision of Episcopal priests who couldn't seem to be able to read text that was in italics. And so I have fallen prey to Marion Hatchett today as well. And so... Uh, there is, a, there is a whiff of tobacco smoke and bourbon in the air as we're recording this podcast today. So, If you'd like to know a little bit more about Mary and Hatchet, you could ask us at another time. You have to, you have to sign up for the subscription for that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but in any case, uh, for those of you playing along at home, we are on page 351 in the Book of Common Prayer. We are talking about the penitential order and uh, what, what we do with it. And as our conversation has alluded to already, if you read the rubrics, there's a whole host of things you can do with this, not just as an addendum to the Holy Eucharist. It's interesting that it's placement inside of the Book of Common Prayer. But even in the title, it tells us that it is something separate from the Holy Eucharist because it just reads a penitential order. It doesn't say a penitential order of the Holy Eucharist. It just says a penitential order, meaning that it is an order of service that is meant to be penitential in nature. 
And as the rubrics show, it can stand on its own two feet. So yeah, let, let's dive right in. The right at the top of the page, <laughs> the italicized rubrics, not in red. It's okay, Father Tyler. Hello. Re- <laughs> for use at the beginning of the liturgy or as a separate service. Well, see, I was fine. I had it at the beginning of the liturgy. I've done it that way, but it turns out there is a comma, a conjunction, and then an ending prepositional phrase that tells me I can do something else with it. It's like those tests that teachers would give from time to time that would say at the beginning, read all of the directions, read the entire thing, and then proceed. And, you know, the ones that actually read it would read to the end, and it would say congratulations, now just go ahead and turn your paper in. And those that didn't would find themselves doing wacky things like standing on their chair and clucking like a chicken. So congratulations, Father Tyler, you just clucked like a chicken. Yes, yes, yes. I am acknowledging and bewailing my manifest sins and wickedness, which from time to time I most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed. So So it sounds like you need an order for penitence. Correct. (laughs) <laughs> the 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 rite itself allows for a number of ways for it to start. You can start with a hall with a hymn, a psalm, or an anthem, beginning like we would normally begin one of our principal services on Sunday morning. Um, and the first thing that we come to after you you pick your hymn, your psalm, or your anthem is a salutation. Um, for those of us who grew up with Charlotte's Web, we are familiar with the word salutations. Um, it's a way of saying hello. It's a way for your celebrant to begin the service, greeting the people, calling the people into worship. Um, your organist or your pianist or your guitarist or whatever kind of music you have in your particular congregation, having concluded their work of inspiring the people to worship, the celebrant of the service comes forward and begins the service by saying, here we are. And there are three options and therefore different types of seasons within the church. Um, And this is something that you'll see within other rites as well within other orders, baptism, um, Eucharist, so on and so forth. We begin with the salutation and they're um, seasonal in aspects. So uh, the general one being, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. And And this should sound familiar to anybody who's been in any kind of service because this is the salutation that we use for 75% of the church year. Yeah. Probably not 75%, probably closer to more like 60 or 63% of the church year. Um, because we have salutations for other parts of the church year as well. Going off of the rubrics in place of the above from Easter day through the day of Pentecost, meaning until the day of Pentecost, you can use, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Or if you find yourself in the season of Lent or in another penitential occasion, bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. 
his mercy endures forever. I, I want to kind of piggyback on that or other penitential occasions. Right now, we're not in the, the season of Lent, right? Um, we're not in the season of Advent, those that are traditionally penitential times in the church year. But it is good for us at, from time to time to return to a penitential rite, to something of that requires us to make penance, often for something that's going on in the world. Um, uh, just, to, I'll throw this example out there because it's going on particularly in the Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist Church right now. Uh, for years it has gone on in the Roman Catholic Church and within also the Episcopal Church. But this issue of um, sexual abuse mm. by clergy mm -hmm. upon the laity of the church, upon the people of the church, which is absolutely awful and is something that we as a church need to repent of. Correct. That's one example that say we have a service of penitence acknowledging this great sin of the body corporate. Mm -hmm. Some other... Other places that the penitential order might show up is when a country has turned a blind eye to great suffering that exists inside of its borders and is doing nothing to address it. Uh, we've seen it time and time again with the mass uh, shootings and gun violence that we've seen broken out throughout the country, and yet things just don't seem to change. At some point, um, the church has to respond to these things. At some point, and when the church should respond to them is immediately um, and realize that as much as we are a people that is that are called out of the world that we live in, we are a part of the world that we live in. And when things happen, we have to take our share of the culpability in that. In, in another form of the confession, um, it comes up in the, the right for healing, um, which is in the book of occasional services, which is a different podcast. Uh, it talks about that we repent of the evil that has been done by us or on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of acknowledging the fact that we do have a voice. We do have options in what we support, what we speak out against. And some of the atrocities that happen inside of this country are our fault because of the things that are left undone. Even our silence or turning away from uh, the evil that we see uh, is in itself a sin, the things that are left undone. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, so all of those indicate a penitential occasion in which you might turn to your third salutation. That still points us towards grace. Um, yeah. You know, bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. His mercy endures forever. And the point of the salutations is, is number one, it, it, the functional aspect of it is that it lets you know that the liturgy itself is, is beginning, the rites are beginning, but it also picks up some of the, the thematic elements of the season in which you find yourself standing. Or, or occasion. Or occasion, right. Because in that second salutation, you are picking up on the Easter theme, Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed. 
um, throughout the, the period known as ordinary time, we're reminding of, we're reminded of a Trinitarian God and our praise for that Trinitarian God and how that God has made manifest to us in our daily lives and how that God empowers us to go out into the world. And in Lent and other penitential seasons, we're reminded of our constant invitation back into the grace of God. Our next line in this, on page 351, continuing, is another rubric. And we have, when used as a separate service from time to time, the exhortation, page 316, may be read or a homily preached. So this points us back to our last episode and if on uh, the Holy Eucharist, part one. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I, I recommend you stop, go back and listen to it, and then come back to the penitential order. Things will make a lot more sense uh, as we're talking about the exhortation. And then also following the exhortation, you can have the Decalogue said with the people kneeling. Um, again, for more on the Decalogue, see the previous episode. And then we have the following sentences. Father Joshua, do you want to talk about some of the background of these following sentences and where we might have seen them before? Uh, well, for one, they're all straight scripture, right? Correct. Amazing how much of the BCP is found in Holy Scripture. <laughs> um, but they are the words um, of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, of the, the, uh, the early leaders of the church, commending us to penitence and um, encouraging us in mercy. And, and typically these particular sentences that are, that are pulled out of Scripture are often referred to as the comfortable words. It is it is a reminder of the of the grace that is ours because of our penitence, because of us being willing to acknowledge. Let's the first step to solving a problem is admitting that you have one. Step one of the twelve step process, um, and so. With the passage from Mark, we're given the two great commandments. With the passage from 1 John, we're well assured of the fact that we're not the only ones that have sin in our lives. Um, and if we say that we're without sin, if we say that we're, we're without blame, well, we're basically out of our heads. Um, and, and showing what happens when we confess our sins. Um, God is faithful and just, forgives our sins, and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the passage from the letter to the Hebrews gives us the assurance that Jesus, who is our great high priest, um, intercedes on our behalf and assures us of the grace and mercy that is ours through his work of salvation. So you, as the, as the instructions say, you can pick one of those based on what it is that you're doing with the penitential order to sort of fit the occasion. And that's, that's, that's the other side of, of liturgy that Father Joshua, I'm not sure you and I talk about a lot uh, in, in the podcast is that the level of preparation and the level of forethought that goes into when we actually put together 
a liturgy because there are some liturgies in the book that are very cut and dry, plain and simple. It is this way from start to end and, and that's just the way of it. But the Book of Common Prayer also allows for a great amount of variation and a great amount of pastoral sensitivity to situations, to times of national distress, to times of great joy. And preparing for your liturgies ahead of time instead of arriving at the church five minutes before the liturgy starts, you know, flying into your alb and your vestments and saying, okay, we're starting on 355, let's go. Um, well, that is a fine thing for some. Spending time thinking about what it is that you're doing, the liturgy that you're about to celebrate, the liturgy that the people in the pews are about to participate in, putting that forethought into that is actually a key part of the way that we do worship in this church. And not just forethought, but praying about it. Um, it's the same thing that we should be doing with our, our sermon preparation. It is uh, what we were always taught in seminary is what is the Holy Spirit wanting the people of God to hear in this moment here and now, right? Mm-hmm. Same is true for the liturgy. Although the liturgy is kind of, uh, as Sister Monica Joan would say, it's this rope that we can hold on to that guides us through things um, because of its constancy, it will hit us in different ways at different times. And, and it's meant to. Um, it's not meant to just be wrote um, because of the different circumstances that we are in. Everybody comes into worship differently. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes into worship differently. There are days that your priest is right on top of things and ready to go. And there are days that even having done a bunch of preparation, but there may be something else that is going on in there in our lives or in the world that weighs on us. And that is what we bring into worship. And everybody does that. Wait, you have days when you're on top of things? That happens for you? Very, very, very limited. I can count them on half of a hand. Okay, we're going to need to get me on the kind of coffee that you're drinking because, you know, there are, there are those, those scant instances where I come to service and it's like, come, now is the time to worship. And then there are sometimes I come to church and it's like, come, now is the time to find my censure because God only knows where I laid it down the last time I took it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, priests have their off days too. But this is why we we pray. This is why we are led by the Holy Spirit who doesn't have those days, right? Correct. He who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Thanks be to God for. Sophie will take care of it. (laughs) We'll, uh, we'll We'll have to do another episode on sermon prep, maybe in the middle of our our. Uh, exploration of the actual right for Holy Eucharist yeah. <laughs> and talk about the Jesus take the wheel method of writing a sermon um, <laughs> as it stands. Uh, I, I will also, coming back ahead. to the, uh, coming back to the comforting words, I've been in parishes, usually it's within uh, the use of right one for the Eucharist, but one or more of these are said um, in movement toward confession. Correct, which is what the penitential rite is setting us up for. Yeah. It, is, it is not just enough that we say, 
wow, I shouldn't have done that, it is another thing entirely that we confess with our mouths the things that we have done wrong. And so it's at this point in the service, after we've had our salutation, after the exhortation has been read, um, after we've heard the comfortable words, that the deacon bids the people, the deacon or the celebrant, uh, bids the people to confess their sins against God and their neighbor. Uh, Interesting that you use those words. I will point us back to what it actually says. Let us, and this is the deacon or celebrant and says, let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Correct. The deacon telling the people, including the deacon. Yes. That it is time to sin, that not that it's time to sin against God and our neighbor. It's time to confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Um, and, and that we are all in this together. Correct. One of, one of the, the criticisms that gets, bats or gets batted around about, about Christian clergy, about Christianity in general, is that, um, that sometimes there is systems in place where the leadership or the clergy are intentionally set above people, that the, that the clergy expect the people to, lure, to, to wash their feet and serve them and do all of this. And yet here in our liturgy, we find this great equalizer where we are all called to account and all called to confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Wait, um, sin, sin and mercy are great equalizers? What? <laughs> Isn't that something? We, um, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? What? Oh, Father Joshua, is that news for you? Mm. Care, careful of your lofty perch. Um, uh, I, someone said to me once, uh, and this is a true story, um, that Episcopalians don't know anything about repentance. Um, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bear talking about who said it, when they said it, what the context was they said it in. Um, but that Episcopalians didn't know anything about confessing their sins and doing any of that. And yet, in so many of our services, that's how we begin. You yeah. know, um, we're given the option in the daily office to confess our sins. You know, anytime we're going into a celebration of the Holy Eucharist, we confess our sins. Even as we're laying in weakness and, and the priest or the deacon has come to anoint us with holy oil and to pray over us, we're given the option to confess our sins because we understand that confessing our sins against God and our neighbor is actually an integral part of our life of faith. Mm-hmm. It is moving us into sanctification. It is moving us away from the life of sin into the renewed, the redeemed, the risen life of Jesus Christ. The, the process of getting us toward the risen life of Jesus Christ. Right. And I, I will add to that part of that criticism, um, even for people that have been part of the church or have seen the liturgies and know that everything starts with this penitence, right? With this confession. Part of the criticism is that, oh, you just have these words that you say and then everything's fine. But let's look at the rubric, the theme of today's episode. Right after the bidding from the deacon or the celebrant, let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. The rubric says, silence may be kept. 
Why, Father Tyler, is silence kept at this point? Because it's awkward. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, silence is kept here because of so, me- so much of what we talked about in the previous episode of having that moment, um, of having that moment of taking an account of, of taking a look at our lives, whether you do that through the lens of the Decalogue, whether you do that through the lens of the exhortation, whether you do that through the lens of an Ignatian examine or however it is that you take stock of the things that you have done wrong. I know, shocker, you've done things wrong. Even those type ones on the Enneagram, you too have done things wrong. Sorry, Father Joshua. I am surrounded by ones in my life on the Enneagram. Um, but that silence is there for all of us to take stock. It, it's not just a placeholder. It is not just a dramatic flare. Um, it is those things too. But all the parts of the Eucharist have a deeper function than just like, oh, this would be a really good thing to do right now. Mm-hmm. It point, in any time there is silence, we should either be talking to God asking God to show us something about ourselves that we need to offer back to God or paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. That, that silence is there so that we can have a richer, fuller experience of God or be contemplating God. It's almost like worship is all about God and our relationship to God. And so well, we, have these, we have these pockets of silence where we're drawn deeper into that mystery. And that's a, a very good point because another criticism is that within the Episcopal Church and within the Roman Catholic Church that we make our confess- confession to a priest. Why not just go straight to God? Well, here, right here, go straight to God. The words that come after are a general confession that you are making as the body of Christ. It's not, um, it is a we confess, not an I confess in the words that follow. In this silence, you are in that moment with God. This is what I know I've done. God, show me what else I have done or left undone. And, and some of these elements that we're exploring right now are elements that are going to come up again inside of the Holy Eucharist. And Absolutely. so we won't, we won't necessarily have to explain those when we come to them. So the importance of this episode setting us up for an exploration of the Holy Eucharist is actually really vital from the podcast perspective. That being said, we have to remember who it is that we're talking to in this moment. It, it isn't about the priest. It isn't about the deacon. It isn't about the person in the pew next to us um, in this moment, except it is. We're confessing our sins, mine and yours alike, as the same people who are kneeling sometimes on the same kneeler in the same pew. You know, we're having this experience corporately. Mm-hmm. where we're all, all confessing our sins. Um, and, and we've talked through the confession multiple times already in the podcast. It, like I said, it comes up in the office, um, and we've, talked, we've gone through this, and we've, we've moved through this line by line by line. So, Father Joshua, if I've said my morning office, you know, if I've been a good Christian, and on Sunday mornings, deep in my piety, I have risen before the sun has arisen and I have brewed my Folgers cup of the day. 
And before I have even opened my copy of the Wall Street Journal to find out if, if Facebook stock is trading up or down, I have stopped to confess my sins against God and my neighbor, then I'm good to go for worship, right? I don't need to worry about this, correct? Has time passed? Except for the part where I've just committed the sin of pride because I've already got it all figured out. Uh, <laughs> that's time that's, the, past. Uh, that's and, the thing about human beings is that, you know, we, we have opportunities to do great good. And we also have opportunities to commit sin. And if, if time has passed between the last time you have confessed and this time that you need to confess, chances are sins popped up there somewhere. Um, yeah. And that is not a judgment call. Uh, that's not about judgment on my part. <laughs> as much as it is acknowledging my own nature that I am going to screw this up. Time well, and time again. Let's look at the monastic communities that make confession at Compline before going to bed, and then you go to sleep, and all you've done is sleep until you wake up for that three o'clock prayer slot again. And yet again, you make confession. It's like, when did I have time to do anything? It is not about the actions of man, but what is in the heart. Well, everybody knows, Father Joshua, that you were grumpy with Brother Manard in the rectory for breakfast. Um, even even though it was a silent meal and we shouldn't have been talking anyway. <laughs> so we're, we're, making, we're making light of this somewhat, but the actual seriousness of this is that we all need to be in constant, constant contact with, with who we are as people. And, yes. and our nature, and also God's nature. You know, we're we're constantly doing this 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 turn back towards God, and we're asking God to bring us forward in our turning. You know, as we as we turn away from God and turn away from our neighbor, we're asking God to turn us back and set us on the right path. And we're all sort of doing this waltz through life where we're constantly turning back towards the grace and the mercy. And the, the hope of God in hopes that we're moving across the dance floor of life towards sanctification. So we, we, can, we can carry ourselves somewhat lightly in all of this and acknowledge the fact that we may say our office first thing on Sunday morning, but then by the time we make it to the church, we've already grumbled about somebody and we need to confess our sins again. Um, um, well, it is, it is all an acknowledgement of our humanity and at the same time, an acknowledgement of God's divinity. Exactly. Our humanity and God's divinity and God's, God's never-ending grace towards us as God's children. Um, and, and I think that takes us, because we've already kind of gone through it line by line in earlier episodes, but just the last portion of the last sentence of the general confession that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. This is what allows us to keep going. And yeah. And, and reminds us that in doing our confession, what we're actually trying to do is delight in the will of God that we're trying to walk in the ways of God for the glory of God. Um, 
and it it takes doing this time and time again. You you had mentioned something earlier, just a little bit before we really dove into some of the theology around a general confession about who it is that we're making confession to. And there's there's this clue that we've highlighted in past episodes, but maybe people haven't haven't listened to the past episodes. You know, maybe they're joining us on this episode about the penitential rite, and they haven't heard this part. It is interesting that when the bishop and the priest stands and says the absolution, the first clause of the absolution, it is not by my great clemency and by my authority as a minister of the church, I am, I am having mercy on you and forgiving you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the it one is not that, te absolvo. It is not te absolvo, I absolve you. Right. It is about who is doing, who is giving us this mercy, who is giving us this forgiveness. And the line of that, of the absolution is almighty God have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. The priest's job isn't to forgive your sins as much as it is to pronounce the absolution that is yours because you with a contrite heart fully intending amendment of life have knelt in the presence of almighty God and have faithfully confessed your sins. The absolution is there to assure you of the fact that the grace of God has been poured out on you. Mm -hmm. That, that this mercy that, that we get, that we as clergy get to be mediators of is a direct result of what it is that you have decided to do. Mm -hmm. Um, magic hands notwithstanding ontological change notwithstanding our job is to tell you the good news that is yours because of the decision that you have made to find peace to find to find peace with your sisters and brothers but also to make peace with god mm -hmm. and that it is a continuing work uh this is kind of what i was talking about this last sunday uh, based on the gospel um that the holy spirit continues uh, right when 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 God sends us the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, um, it is to continue our training, <laughs> basically to continue our training and to to comfort us and guide us uh, through the rest of this journey where it ends here. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. This movement forward to comfort and guide and keep you as, as we, we continue on. Well, and as the, and, and this is getting way out of, out of lane and, and probably working ahead and we'll talk about it again, but it's like, it's like that great line from, um, from Eucharistic prayer C and yes, I'm cheating because I have my prayer book on my desk in front of me. You know, we come, we come to this point of confession and we forget well, it's like prayer C says, deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. This absolution that is present that is that is proclaimed over us by a bishop or by a priest um, isn't just about mercy and forgiveness. It's also about a strengthening of us to continue to do the work that is given to us to do. And, and, 
and clergy get to be the ones that remind us that it is almighty God that is strengthening us, pouring out grace, pouring out mercy upon us, also strengthening us to continue to go out and to be the hands and feet of Christ to the rest of the world. I I will take that a step further and point us to page 337, um, which is putting it into right one. So the language is going to be a little different, but there's this wonderful addition post-fraction after the breaking of the bread. And we say, O Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. And we say that three times. Then the following prayer may be said, the people may join in saying this prayer. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Let me read that part again. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Elizabethan language, the reason that they use the property there is it's another way of saying characteristic. So one of the things that we can depend on being part of who God is, is to always be merciful. And so whose property it, whose property is always to have mercy. We know that God is going to be merciful to us when we turn back towards God. Um, which is really why you need services like a penitential order. You know, not just, not just for the opportunity for us to talk about the things that have gone wrong, but also to be reminded of the mercy of God that is ours. Yeah, because of because of our choosing to be faithful. And and how wonderful is this? You know, you come to something like, oh, we have to go to confession or we have the penitential order. And it, it's scary because um, and nothing against them. But in so many breakaways and denominations of the church of Christianity. There is this view of an angry God dangling us over the flames of hell until we get it right. But that's not what scripture says. That is not what the Holy Spirit teaches us. Whose property mm. it is to always have mercy. Mm. What a lovely thought that is and how contradictory it is to the way a lot of the world thinks. Uh, this idea of, and, and just on a human level, this idea of revenge, this idea of uh, getting back, you know, God doesn't do that. God loves us and desires for us to be with him. I was, I was listening the other day to our first podcast, um, primarily because our last episode had ended and Spotify just kicked me back over to our first episode. 
And one of the things that I'm, I'm continually struck by is how much your background and how much my background continues to affect the people that we still are. You know, um, uh, one of our friends uh, who's a, a creator on TikTok um, talks about how, how amazing it is that, you know, people who have come out of these faith traditions have been able to deconstruct and have been able to reconstruct their faith. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is some of that aspect of our previous lives of faith that still mark us, you know, that some of that baggage that still hangs on. And, and some of that is the fact that in some breakaway, more Protestant, um, more fundamentalist denominations, there is this emphasis just on the wrath and the rage and the unquenchable anger of God. And that's only half the story. Like if, if you choose to just look at what, if you choose to see God as this sort of, this sort of, and I don't mean this in a mental health sense, but in, in a descriptive sense as a schizophrenic God, that is just, there's just this anger. Or, or as an abusive parent. Or as an abusive parent. And you, you divide God in half and say, well, the only part that I'm going to focus on is this, this side of God that is always angry and this, this God that is always out for wrath and vengeance. You miss the part in the narrative where God is always turning back to the people. God is always there providing for the people all the way from Genesis, all the way through the hellscape that is the book of Revelation. God is always there in the midst of suffering, providing for the people. And, and that's the other side of this. And another point to that, and this goes out to all who have found us in the midst of your deconstruction, which let me tell you on this podcast is not a, a, a slur. It is not a bad word uh, because both Father Tyler and I have, have been there and we have done it. Um, it's hard. It's hard. And it is why there are moments like this in the prayer book. It is why there are penitential orders. But along with that also comes lots of therapy and a lot of spiritual direction. Um, I mean, I, it's a whole nother podcast, but I could tell you the story of when the scaffolding that I had built up uh, in my previous life and and, and through what I had learned and known growing up in uh, a different denomination of Christianity, the moment that that all fell apart, the moment that that collapsed underneath me. And I had to, I had an emergency pastoral or emergency spiritual direction session. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to a sister, Madeline Mary uh, from Swanee, but I had to, cry and and let it out and, and grieve that loss and then at the same time recognize that there are parts of that that are a strong foundation mm. that are part of this rebuilding reconstructing process uh like my relationship how i how i relate to the holy spirit um how i engage in worship with other people and community. These are things that are 
driven by my past, uh, by what has been deconstructed, um, and some of which has had to been part of my confession. But in the mercy of God and the grace of God is renewed, restored, and redeemed. And I think that's the main part. It's redeemed. Uh, this is good. This is holy. And this does bring you closer to God. And so here we find ourselves at the end of an office that can stand or a service that can stand totally on its own. We have been, we have confessed our sins. We have been assured of the mercy of God because of our penitence. Um, the concluding rubrics here on page 353 give us, gives us some options. If this order is used at the beginning of liturgy, which is why Father Joshua, by the way, I never bothered to read the rubrics at the beginning of the service because I was trying to figure out how you stitch this into, into a service so that it is the beginning. Um, uh, it, it talks about how when you use this at the beginning of the service, you move away from this and go straight into a Gloria or a Kyrie or a Trisagion. We'll talk about those in the next episode. Um, or that when it's used separately, literally, when, it's, when it is used separately, uh, the last rubric... On page 353, it concludes with suitable prayers in the grace or a blessing. Um, so, uh, having said all of that, I think um, that it we should conclude with uh, a grace and perhaps a blessing. So, <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit keep us all forevermore. Amen. Amen. Father Joshua, may the peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Mm -hmm.